Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Well, good morning. It's great to have you here today, Al, and so good to have you all here as we are in a series called Jesus' Plan for the World to Know. And my name's John Adams, one of the pastors here. We want to greet you here. We want to be a community of faith. If you're broken, if you know your sin and your need for grace, you're probably in the right place because we have a great need for Christ. Every one of us who come here today and come together to gather to hear his word. So uh, as we come to his word today, uh, We're going to come to a chapter in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. And and the context of this is really pretty interesting. Because the disciples have, for three times, they have seen Jesus miraculously provide bread and food for for them and for many. We see uh, uh, that he took five loaves and fed 5,000 people in Mark chapter 6 verses 30 through 44. And then they just watched him take seven loaves and feed 4,000 men and others. And now they're in a boat with Jesus. The disciples, they were a little forgetful like you and I. They brought only one loaf and now they're all worried. You know, you would think there's only a dozen men. You would think this would be a no-brainer after what they had seen Jesus do, right? He was the Lord of the universe. He was the bread of life. He was sitting right next to them. He had provided miraculously for thousands. And now they're worried and fretting about what, (laughs) that their life, they won't have enough. They won't have enough food to eat. And maybe today you, you have enough food to eat. Most of us don't have that problem, right? But what is it that you don't have enough of? Is it success? Is it comfort? Is it, is it approval of others? I mean, some of us, it's security and knowing we're loved. Some of us are lonely and we want to know that others are for us. Every one of us have something in our life where we feel like, I, kinda, I need that. And sometimes we have a hard time seeing that God is right there. And as we're going to see from this passage, as he says to his disciples, in essence, if you have me, you have enough. So let's look at God's word to get together this morning. Again, Mark chapter 8, and I'll remind you as we're in this study that we want to be learners, but we also are not only called to be disciples, We are called to make disciples, to teach others. So Lord, help us to be learners and help us to grow to teach others in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. 
And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand you see, here in this passage, Jesus began to teach his disciples, first of all, we see here, to watch out for the easy-to-believe lies. Here in verse 15, Jesus warns his disciples about two kinds of lies that we can buy into, even as Christ followers, as disciples, as disciple-makers. And he calls them here, watch out for, first of all, the leaven of the Pharisees. So what is that? Sounds kind of odd, right? Well, the leaven is, is what they used. It was yeast that they would put into bread to make it rise. And so the leaven of the Pharisees was really their pride that they thought that they had to do the work. And they didn't rely on Christ and his work. You see, like the disciples, the Pharisees saw evidences of Jesus' miracles. They had just seen Jesus in Mark 3 verses 1 through 6, heal a man on the Sabbath. But unlike the disciples, they did not believe that he was the Messiah, that he was what they needed. He, they worried and were threatened by the attention he was gaining. And so we see in verse uh, Mark 8, 11, they demanded a sign of Jesus, which means they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted him to use his power. And then they were going to say, if you do this miracle, Jesus, it's only because you are, your power comes from the devil. And so they were trying to trap him and then ultimately shame him. You see, just like bread that is transformed by leaven or yeast in the dough, the Pharisees' leaven was transforming their community and their hearts. Their hearts had become distant from God they no longer were believing that it was about God's work. They weren't recognizing, certainly, also who Jesus really was. And their pride had caused them to believe that they could gain God's favor by their good works, obeying more laws, which they did a lot of, and they would somehow get credit for it. And rather than giving glory to God, and so, you know, we sometimes are no different from the Pharisees, right? We, we, we kind of want to do spiritual things, and we want to get credit. We want to be affirmed for it. We want to know that, that kind of we did this. And sometimes our pride causes us to desire the applause of men more than the glory of God. This, this is the first lie is a religious lie. It's a lie of spiritual performance. But the second lie is called the lie of or the leaven of Herod. 
And what's that? It's really those who don't believe in God at all. Herod was this great master builder. He was the ruler of Israel appointed by the Romans. And he had built great towns. He'd caused them to flourish. He was really creative, very gifted, and he, he created a great economy. He was a great architect, but he didn't believe in God. And he certainly didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He believed ultimately that he was the center of the world and this was his problem. His irreligious lie was, it's all about me. Have you ever thought that way in your life? It's so easy even as a Christ follower, a disciple who wants to grow as being a disciple maker to make life all about me. We can kind of not only be religious thinking I've got to spiritually perform, we can also be pretty selfish and be all about I'm kind of the center of reality. It's about what I want when I want it. And so we, we know the end for Herod wasn't good. He, he had killed or butchered several of his close friends and family members. In the end of his life, he had this pain, gruesome death. And he died alone, and he was not a happy man. You see, these two lies will only lead you to frustration or ultimately to ultimate death. And so God wants to call this out to his disciples, calling out both the religious and the irreligious lies that we can sometimes believe in that we are sometimes blinded to. So Jesus warned his disciples over and over about these. And you would think that the disciples would be on high alert, don't you? Real sensitive to this, right? But look, look at what they're believing in verse 16. Look with me at it. It says, and they, the disciples, began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. I mean, how clueless can you be, right? Here, the disciples just saw Jesus feed miraculously thousands. He says, Jesus told them, I'm the bread of life. I can supply all your needs. These same Jewish people knew about Abraham's story. You remember when he, back in Genesis 22, where he was, God called him to sacrifice his son, Isaac, and he was about ready to kill Isaac with a knife. And God said, stop. And he said, look, Abraham, at my provision. And he looked, and it says in Genesis 22, he says, and he looked, and it behold, a ram appeared in the thicket. God provided, he took the lamb, and he killed that lamb or that ram in that place. God was the provider, and Abraham named that place Jehovah-Jireh. This is the place of God's provision. I mean, some years later in Jewish history, Moses and the people of Israel were delivered from death from, the, from Pharaoh's armies or drowning in the Red Sea. He parted the Red Seas. They went through it, and over two million people went to dry land safety, and the water swallowed up Pharaoh's army, and they were all celebrating. Yay, God, you are a great provider. You're so amazing. You are so great. We just love you. We're going to love you with all our heart all of our days. Give them three days. 
And they're complaining again. God, we're, we're, we're going to die in the wilderness, the desert. There's no water. And a few days later, they start complaining about the food. And what does God do? He brings water from a rock. He brings bread raining manna burgers from the sky. God is the great provider. The disciples of Jesus know all this, but what's even more amazing, more amazing than I think even the story of Abraham and Moses, who is right there in their midst? Jesus. God is there with them. And they're clueless to him being the all-satisfying provider for their needs, for their hearts. And so Jesus is coaching, discipling, patiently mentoring his disciples. I wouldn't have been that patient. How about you? And we see that he continues to teach them. And in verse 17, we see our second point. Not only did he teach them to watch out for these easy-to-believe lies of either religion or irreligion, but he also secondly asked them questions to remember who he is. This is a great strategy if you're trying to coach others. Ask good, penetrating questions. In verses 17 through 19, we see that Jesus asked, actually asked six revealing questions of his disciples. And then in verse 21, he comes to the seventh question, and it's this, do you not yet understand? Can you imagine being in this boat with Jesus, the all-powerful, all-good creator of the world and sovereign Lord? And they're just worried about what they're going to eat for a meal. They're not looking to him. Jesus is not just talking about how can I get you physically satisfied? How can your heart trust me? How can you find heart satisfaction? The longing of the hearts of men and women is who Jesus is addressing today. And so look at this, this passage one more time. Verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, notice the questions, and revealing and yet tender, clear, but really a great coach. Why? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Second question. Do you not yet perceive or understand Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, sixth question, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up and then they said to him, 12 and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And then they said to him, seven. And he said to them, and finally, guys, do you, do you not yet understand? 
you see Jesus patiently and clearly addresses their lack of understanding. And the word understanding means to put together or to mentally comprehend. In today's word, we, words, we would say, do you get it, right? I mean, again, just a few hours ago, miraculously, Jesus fed thousands. And now the disciples brought only one loaf and Jesus, the great master, teacher, discipler, was having a conversation, asking good questions. It wasn't a monologue. This is a good way, by a way, to disciple others. About, he was asking questions about the topics he desired his disciples to learn. Now, now listen, if, if, if you or I were Jesus, I'll bet by this time with the disciples' cluelessness, you would have had a little tone, right, with your questions? Something like this. Are you kidding? Don't you trust me? How could you walk with me through these years and not even know who I am? As, as a spouse, have you ever felt that about your spouse? You don't know who I am. But Jesus is not frustrated. He's not condemning. But he does call his disciples to comprehend who he was. He calls them not just to the, in their mind, but their heart, really, ultimately, and their will, of course, to believe in him. And we see by implication in his third question in verse 17, where he asks, are your hearts hardened? We, we know their hearts were clearly struggling with unbelief. And yet, how patient Christ is with these men. How he demonstrates to them ultimately that he is the true Messiah. Remember at this time, they believed he would be a Messiah to like overthrow the Romans who were ruling Israel. They thought he was a military, a conquering king, physical, physical king who would come and, and lead the troops of Israel against Rome to win, so to speak. But Jesus came for a radically different reason. He came to change the hearts of men and women. He came to change your and my hearts. He came to call his people to himself. So he came to rescue his children and call them sons and daughters who would follow him and know him and trust him and grow in him and follow him on mission this is what disciples and disciple makers do. You see, we can struggle with believing who Jesus is, can't we? We can have struggle with unbelief in our life. We can have a hard time even. There's something in our life we feel and we're certain, God, I don't have enough of that. What is it for you today? You see, I love the clear and honest confession of the dad whose son Jesus healed in Mark chapter 9. Remember those words? They're so real, they're so true. They're for all of us. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, our faith begins to grow as we acknowledge our, our sin. That means we see it and we admit it and we're willing to confess it. 
And when we do confess it, it's so freeing because God, if you're a Christ follower, he's already forgiven it. You see, uh, then we repent. And there's, we can grow in freedom from sin's power and control over us. In just a few minutes, we're going to the Lord's table. We're going to take the, of the table of memory. Why? Listen, we're all forgetful. We all have leaky heads and leaky hearts. We all easily forget who Jesus is. And by the way, if you're a Christ follower, the spirit of Christ, Jesus, is always with you in your heart. You're never alone. You're never, you're not in a boat, but he's in your heart. He's even closer to you than these disciples. Are we believing who he is? Are we turning from our sins, acknowledging them, but then turning in faith and saying, Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the all-sufficient provider. You are the only one who will satisfy my aching, longing heart. And so today, if you uh, ask the Holy Spirit, he'll bring you conviction, but not condemnation. And God, by the way, guys, there's, there's no shaming from Jesus. Isn't that good? He's not, he's, he, he will be very clear. He will be very direct, but he's not going to shame you. That's such good, that's just such a good practice for all of us. I mean, as I think about our kids and our grandkids or a friend who maybe has disappointed me or, or maybe you've had someone you've mentored for a long time and they just keep messing up, forgetting who the Lord is. They keep living in a lie. Do you know anyone like that? The fact is we all struggle with this at times. You see, uh, I, I love uh, that when we, we feel shame as we realize it's not because of God, but because Satan will take conviction and seek to manipulate us through our lack of trust of how good Jesus really is. Uh, Jerry Bridges, is an old author. He wrote this great book. It's worth getting. It's called The Person suit of holiness. He writes this. He says, the Holy Spirit makes us aware of our lack of holiness to stimulate us to deeper yearning in our hearts and striving for holiness. But Satan will attempt to use the Holy Spirit's work to discourage us. You see, the great news is of the gospel is we're not defined by our sin. Jesus through the apostle Paul told his followers in Romans 7, we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness because of Christ's work. We are not defined primarily by our sin. We are defined primarily with, as we sang earlier, who God calls us. We are his sons and daughters. And because God is sovereign and good, he has chosen to love us with a love that cost the death of his very son who took the wrath of God. Due to who God is, God, Jesus, 
has done all the work needed. You don't have to strive. You don't have to, you know, believe the lie of the leaven of the Pharisees, the lie of the leaven of Herod. You can trust him. Are you believing him? Are you satisfied? Is your soul longing for him? And him alone, are you saying, God, rid me of anything else that I'm longing for more than knowing you and loving you and being satisfied by you, Lord. You know, I've been, uh, it's been a kind of sad week as, you know, you think about Tim Keller dying and I remember him saying, for example, uh, something like this, if, if you have Christ, you have everything. And then he would share what that means. And it's true. And then I love what um, author and Bible teacher John Piper would say, and I've shared this with you before. He would talk about how he would wake up in the morning and there were certain days when he'd wake up and he said, I woke up, I don't know if it was the wrong side of the bed or what, I just came up and woke up and I felt like I was an atheist. Have you ever felt like that? And Piper says what he had to do is what we need to do is again to read God's word and center his affection of his heart on the object, knowing God, of reading the word, of praying until his heart became satisfied and his unbelief had to go. Because the word of God is that penetrating and active. So church, family, it's so easy for us to forget. As I've said earlier, we have leaky hearts and heads. We forget who Jesus is, that he is the all-satisfying savior of the world whom we need We don't need just bread. We don't need success. We don't need kids to do great. We don't need the great career. We don't need that next deal. We don't need that retirement place. We don't need another friend. We need Jesus. And to know who he is, the God of the scriptures, the God of the word, and we find him as we look into his word and we meditate and read it, And gets our hearts once again reminded of who he is. You see, God asks you today this question. If you have me and you have enough, will you trust that? Will you trust me? So today as we come to the Lord's Supper... I'm going to invite you to do some soul examination. I'm going to ask you that you ask the Lord to show you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who's in you if you know Christ today, that you would take a few moments and that you would say, Lord, show me if there's anything else that I'm striving for, that I'm believing a lie of either religion or irreligion, that I'm wanting and I don't feel like I have enough of.
whatever that is, other than Jesus, repent of it. Tell God, Lord, I want you more than, that, more than I want that. And then tell him this, help me to believe what I just told you, Lord. Help me to have faith. Give me faith to believe you. So let's go to a, just a few moments of prayer as we prep up our hearts for his table. Let's pray together. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.